0: So for our message today, we've been going through a series called Back to the Basics, and it parallels the launch of Rooted, the Rooted Discipleship Ministry that we've been going through as well. About 150 of you are going through that, and and we really hope that everyone will get to be a part of that. Nick mentioned it earlier in the service today, and you can get more information about that on our website. But the question that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks in Rooted is, how can I make the most of my life? How can I make the most of my life? So we want to talk about that today. Kevin touched on it somewhat last week. We're going to dive into it more this week as well. How can I make the most of my life? You know, I want my life to count for something. And I'm sure you do too. You want to make something of your life. You want to have some kind of purpose in life. You probably don't want someone to write on your tombstone, he watched a lot of Netflix. Right? That's not what you want your life to be about. Or even he made a lot of money. Right, like As much as we, we think money is one of the highest pursuits we can have, most of us realize that at the end of our life, we don't want to look back and just go, well, he made a lot of money. Or, or have someone get up at your funeral, and, and when they're getting up to talk about you, they say, she always knew how to make herself feel comfortable. Like, that's not really the type of thing we want to be known for. She always wore a lot of really nice clothes. Some of the things that we tend to pursue a lot in life are not the things we actually want to be known for ultimately. We all have this sense of we want our life to count for something. We want to make something of our life. We want there to be purpose in our life. In fact, it's the lack of that purpose in our life that can be really depressing and discouraging. I think it's one of the biggest problems we face today, especially in in the younger generations, is just this lack of purpose in life, this meaningless the meaninglessness that is there. Uh, and part of that is because of the erosion of, of uh, religion and faith, um, the taking away purpose in people's life. Part of that is just a secular mindset. There are a lot of things that play into that. There's a cultural aspect of that that plays into it, but there is just this sense of meaninglessness and purposelessness. And, and all of us deep down inside, we want to make something of our lives. So that's the question we're asking today. How can I make the most of my life, and and Jesus really cared about this question. He actually talked about it a lot. He would often talk about it from the perspective of the future, looking back, just like I just did. I, what did I do to get you to think about your purpose in life? I talked about your, your future, the end of your life, at your funeral. What will people say? What will they put on your tombstone? We we think from that perspective, and Jesus would do that. Only he took it to the next level, and he would say, at the end of your life, looking back. How would God evaluate your life? Did you use this life that God gave you, that God blessed you with well? Did you use it well? How would God evaluate it? And that's what we're going to dig into today. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 25. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Matthew 25. Kevin touched on this last week in the message, and and we're just going to take that and, and move on to kind of part two. And, and dive deeper into Matthew 25 to talk about what is Jesus saying here and what implications does it have for our life? We're gonna put it up on the screen as we read it through first, uh, but then later on as we go through, it won't be on the screen, so you'll wanna be there in your Bible. If you don't have a physical Bible with you, your phone can get to that easily if you go to the UVersion Bible app. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is speaking here. He's talking to his disciples And and you need to know that when Jesus speaks about himself, a lot of times he uses the phrase the Son of Man. It was a way that he referred to himself. So he's kind of speaking in the third person here, and he says this in verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. When did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you. You cursed ones into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? We don't remember any of this. And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Let's just pause right there for a moment and pray and ask for God's wisdom as we dive into this passage together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see what you want us to see today. This is your word and it is it is true every word of it and we wanna learn from it, God. I pray that you would help us to see areas of our life that maybe maybe need to be chipped away, need to be surrendered to you so that we can turn those over to you this week. God, I pray that you'd help us to see areas where we need to grow, uh, where we need to be willing to do new things. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to understand how best to apply this to our life today. Maybe it's something I'm going to say. Uh, Maybe it's something that that is just going to be something your Holy Spirit does a work in people's hearts and minds as we're walking through this today. Whatever it is, God, we want to approach with with a sense of openness to hear from you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to ask you a question now, and I'm going to encourage you to actually share the answer with people around you, okay? So just a sentence or two, uh, but here is the question. When is a time that you have taken a big risk? When is a time you have taken a big risk? Go ahead and share that with somebody around you. Now for some of you, that big risk was just turning to someone next to you and sharing something, just saying anything at all. And for others of you, you're just happy to have the opportunity to share whatever that was and to talk a little bit more. I want to tell you about one of the bigger risks I've taken in my life, and there there are a lot to choose from. I've been in a lot of risky situations because, uh, especially my wife and I for many years led a missions organization, and any of you that have been on a missions trip know that a lot of times you're taking some risks. When you go on trips around the world to share the gospel and serve other people, and so we've been in some pretty difficult situations, and, and with a missions trip, you just have to expect the unexpected. You have to plan for the unplanned, because things will go wrong. There's no question that things will go wrong. It's just what will go wrong, and when, and how, and how bad will it be, and how are we going to get out of it? So we've had all kinds of weird stuff happen, and I've I've been questioned and trailed in communist countries. I've I've been uh, in hospitals in multiple continents for various injuries, and, and uh, coming back in a wheelchair and I've, I've eaten some very sketchy foods in Africa. So there's been some strange risks that we've taken uh, as part of missions work, but probably the riskiest situation I've been in was a missions trip to Paris, France. And you didn't see that coming, did you? My wife and I, in 2008, planned a missions trip to Paris, and we invited teenagers from around the country to go with us, so we had a team go to Paris, France, and the first risk was our host, our missions host that we were going to work with, fell through kind of last minute, and all the money was raised, the tickets were purchased, everything was ready to go, and we had to decide, do we just scrap this trip now, or do we take the risk and keep it going and try to find something else? And so we did. We kept it going. And kind of last minute, my wife happened across this group that was doing an evangelistic outreach in Paris. The time we were going to be there, we contacted them. Hey, can we just join in last minute? And they said, yes. So we didn't have a lot of things figured out and arranged, but we we knew we had someone to work with. So we went ahead and headed over there. We got in Paris and, and we didn't know all the details about our lodging and our food and our transportation, but we kind of figured it out as we were there. And that risk paid off. And it was awesome. And we got to do this amazing ministry over there. And every time we take a missions trip, we always try to work in some fun along the way. Because we were there for almost three weeks. And we tried to have longer trips. We wanted people to really understand uh, what it was like to do missions work and, and to not just be there for you know, 10 days or a few days, but to really have a longer experience there. And our goal was for people to see what missions work was like so that many of these young people, teenagers in most cases, sometimes college students, would, would maybe want to go back and be missionaries, either there or somewhere else in the world, but would really understand what does it feel like, what's it look like to be a missionary and serve other people in this way. So that was kind of the goal, and all of that was going great, but we did want to work in some fun along with the service opportunities, too. And we found out while we were there that there was going to be a celebration for Bastille Day. Now, we had already been to the Eiffel Tower and, and the Louvre and seen some neat things, but this Bastille Day celebration was supposed to be really incredible. And if you don't know, it's kind of like they're July 4th. It's, it's on July 14th, and there's this massive celebration. We show up. Everybody takes the subway system to get in there. So there are hundreds of thousands of people all gathered around Around the Eiffel Tower, and there's a laser light show, and there's opera, and there's orchestra, and there's huge fireworks. It was just, it was incredible. It was an amazing experience. But what none of us knew was that at the end of that fireworks show exactly, all of the transportation workers had secretly agreed to go on strike. So the bus service was down, the trains were down above and below the ground, all of the transportation was wiped out. Hundreds of thousands of people chaotically running around trying to figure out how to get out there. There was pushing. there's shoving. I heard that there were cars flipped over and set on fire. And here we are with our team of mostly teenagers just trying to figure out how are we going to get out of this city. It turned into a really risky situation very, very quickly. And there's a, there's a whole lot that went on there. Uh, but I'll just tell you, I'll level with you here. Picture in your mind the type of teenager that says, I'm not going to sign up for the trip to Africa or Asia. I'm going to sign up for the missions trip to Paris. And you're right. These were not, this was not a group of Boy Scouts, okay? This, these were mostly not love them to death, wonderful, delightful people, but equipped to handle a riot in, in inner city Paris, they were not. And so we dealt with all the anxiety and the panic and the uh, crazy things that went with that, and understandably so. As I was running from subway station to subway station, like everybody else in Paris, trying to find a train that was still working. And everybody's trying to figure this out, and it was just really chaotic, and it it took a while, but eventually I found a subway station where there was one train that some of the higher-level workers in the government had managed to get going, and there was one more train out of Paris. That was it. We got our team down there. It was already full, but we got in there. You've seen some of the videos. We managed to get every last team member on that train, and one of our team members had a panic attack. And the train staff spotted it, stopped the train, and kicked us off the last train out of Paris. No more buses, no more trains, no taxis, no, no hotels. Every business is closed. There are no houses around. There is nothing. We've seen the chaos up on the streets. So we don't really want to go back up there. And We figure, well, if we're really locked down and I talk to some of the staff, and like, yeah, there is nothing. There is no way you're getting out of here. Okay, so we say as a team, we're just going to hunker down in the subway station. And a couple of us will stay up and keep watch, and this is where we're going to spend the night. And then the staff came over, once they saw what we were doing, and they kicked us out. And they closed the gates and they locked them. So now we're literally on the streets. By now, everyone else has dispersed. Everyone else has figured out a way to get out of there because they live around there. And they're they're now gone. And the only people left on the streets are the people who are always on the streets, the ones that live on the streets. So that's all that's there. Everything else is shut down. No businesses are open. No hotels. Nothing is available. And we're going, what do we do now? It was a little risky. We ended up going from bus station to bus station trying to think, well, maybe somewhere there'll be a bus still operating, but that that wasn't happening. And eventually the team was just like, we cannot go on. That's it, we're done. And so at something like, I don't know, 2.30 in the morning or 3 a.m. in the morning, something like that, we finally settled on a bus station, and we just said, we're just going to spend the night here. So a couple of us stayed watch, and everybody kind of, you know, just sat down, laid down, did what they could to get a little bit of rest. And before you know it, one of the girls informed us that she had to go like now, like had to go-go like now. And there's no restroom around. There's some shady alleyways, but that didn't seem very safe. So we're, we're walking all over. Can we find a house with a light on? Can we, There's no residential housing. Can we find a business that's still operating? Surely there's like a 24-7 something. No, there was nothing like that at all. No hotels. We finally managed to find a park that was down the road a little ways. And we figured, okay, well, that's, gonna, that's it. That's your only option. So we, we go down to this park, and there's a, a fence all the way around. It's been locked and gated to a five-foot-tall metal fence. And we say, all you got to do is climb this, go behind the bushes, and you'll be good. And she's like, I can't climb. What do you mean you can't climb? No, I, I can't climb right now. That's not possible. That's not doable for me right now. I cannot climb this thing. And so we okay, fine. So some of us climb over. She planks, and we pick her up and pass her over like a coffin over the just pallbearers, passing her over the fence, lowering her down, and then she shuffles behind the bushes. A few seconds later, she shuffles back out, crying, what's the matter now? There are people sleeping back there. (laughs) It's like, what are we going to do? I don't don't know if this was the best thing to do. It probably was not. And you know, I'm a dad now. I wasn't a dad back then, so I have a lot more of a buck-up buttercup mentality than I used to. And now I would just be like, all right, tough luck. We're going to turn around and you're just going to have to do your thing on the street. But back then, I was like, all right, I I guess we're going to have to go kick them out. So we went behind the bushes, and this was probably a very risky thing to do. We woke everybody up and we kicked out all the people that were living in the park. And then she, you know, she was able to, you know, she was very relieved. And... (laughs) We made our way back to the bus station. We waited, and eventually, after several hours, the buses started to come through, and the first few were just packed with people, I mean, on top of each other inside, because evidently other people were waiting at other bus stops. We just didn't know it. And finally, later on in the morning, a bus came through that had enough room for us, and we managed to get back to our place where we were staying, and we crashed for the day. I never could have imagined... The risk that we would be in going on that trip. Never would have, never would have guessed that we would have the opportunity to, first of all, watch this incredible Bastille celebration for Bastille Day, but then experience a a, a mass strike of all the transportation workers and and a huge riot all over Paris and people running around and just absolute chaos and pandemonium everywhere. And then then getting on the last train out of there, then getting kicked off the last train out of there, then planning to sleep in a subway station, getting kicked out of the subway station, then spending the night on the streets of Paris and all the things that we went through. Never could have imagined that. Very risky situation. And I I never knew what kind of risks we were even getting into. But you know what's crazy about that? Today, that girl, who will remain nameless, is serving as a missionary in another country. How cool is that? And I can tell you story after story of things that happened in in Asia and Africa and South America and Central America and and Europe and all over the world where where crazy things like that happened, unexpected things that were a little risky sometimes. They were at the very least very uncomfortable and very awkward and sometimes a little bit dangerous and scary in ways we didn't expect. And yet there are missionaries and pastors and and people who are are committed to following Jesus all over the world because of that ministry, because of that work. Here's my point. My point is that basically anything in life worth doing involves some level of risk. Anything in life worth doing involves some level of risk. I mean, if you think about it, don't your biggest wins from your life involve a time when you took some kind of risk? You did something that could have turned out poorly, but you were willing to risk it because of the potential reward was worth it. Asking someone out on a date, is that risky? Yeah, that's a risk. You can get your feelings hurt. That's a big risk. Asking someone to marry you, is that risky? Yeah, it can be. Wanting to start a family, is that a risk? Yeah, that can be risky, but it it can also be really worth it. Taking a new job can be risky. Moving to a new city can be risky. Starting up a business can be a big risk. Eating sushi can be risky, (laughs) but it might be worth it. If you think about it, some of the best things that ever happened to you, some of the most worthwhile things you've ever done started with a risk and you didn't know if it was gonna pay off. You didn't know how it was gonna work out, but you were willing to take that risk. And and here's the big takeaway for today. I'm just gonna give it to you and then we'll unpack it in a a minute. The takeaway is if you're going to make the most of your life, you have to be willing to take some risks. If you want to make the most of your life, you've gotta be willing to take some risks. And I didn't say it, Jesus said it. So let's look at his words. In Matthew 25, you've got that in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 25, let's walk through this together and see what Jesus says about making the most of your life. He says, but when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels are with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. Now what Jesus is doing here is he's giving his disciples the setting. He wants them to picture this. He's giving them a visual and he's saying, okay, the setting is the future. When the Son of Man is, is on his glorious throne, he's got the angels with him. I mean, we can't fully imagine that, but it's just, it's incredible. It's glorious. The future is going to be awesome, he's saying. And then all the nations will be gathered in his presence, verse 32. And then, then what's going to happen is he's going to separate the people like a shepherd will separate the sheep from the goats. And they they understood that. We we don't deal with that today. But back then, there were shepherds everywhere. And some of them would have sheep and goats. And at times, they would have to separate those and and be able to distinguish, okay, here are the goats and here are the sheep. And we've got to separate those. You know, for one thing, if you're going to shear the sheep, if you're going to get all that wool off of them, you you really want to make sure you just have all the sheep collected to be able to do that. What Jesus is describing here is a filtering of people, or you could actually say a judgment of people. He's separating one type of people from another type of people. And he says in verse 33, he will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. I know it's reversed for you, but this is what it is for me. The sheep at his right and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Now, pop quiz, which group do you want to be in? You want to be on team sheep or team goat? Team sheep is blessed by God and inherits his kingdom. And we don't know what happens to the goats yet, unless you were paying attention earlier to remember, but it's not a good situation. So we definitely want to be on team sheep. So now pay attention to how Jesus describes the sheep. Remember, he's giving us a window into the future. Are the sheep here and part of God's kingdom and recognized as as some kind of royal lineage? Were they super successful in life? Were they like political leaders? Uh, What was it that characterized the sheep? Here's what he says, verse 35. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. By the way, that's a big risk. They didn't have a lot of personal protection equipment. So caring for the sick was a big risk. I was in prison, and you visited me there. And then Jesus says, these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? Now, this is some dialogue that Jesus has going on here. He's trying to get you to picture. This is what people are going to be saying in the future. He's going to say, you did all these things for me. You served me in these ways. And these people are going to respond. No, he didn't. I mean, many of these people never even met Jesus in person. How could, it's, they, didn't, they never saw Jesus in prison. They never saw him naked. They never saw him sick. How on earth could Jesus say, you did all of this stuff for me? And then he says in verse 40, the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it, To one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are doing it to me. The point Jesus is making is this. When you risk helping others who can't help you back, it's like you're helping Jesus. When you risk helping others who cannot help you back, it's like you're helping Jesus. When you do that kind of help, what Jesus is talking about here, these are risks these are, these are opportunities to give up and sacrifice things. When I, when I was hungry, you fed me. That means you take some of your food and you give it to someone who needs it. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. Hold up, a stranger? Into your home, that kind of hospitality? That's a risk. When I was naked, you gave me clothing. You took some of your clothing and you gave it to me. When I was sick, you cared for me. You could have gotten sick yourself. You could have That could be contagious, but you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Not exactly a fun place to go, especially back then, but you visited me. And these righteous ones say, when did we do this? And Jesus says, when you did it for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. When you risk helping others who can't help you back, it's like you're helping Jesus. And this, Jesus says, is what characterizes the sheep. Now, Jesus is not saying that doing these things is what made them sheep. He's saying these are the things that sheep do. Their highest goal is not to make themselves comfortable or to amass great wealth or have a lot of achievements on this world or a lot of rewards or to get whatever they want. They are willing to give their things away and share with other people who can't do anything to help them out in return. That's why Jesus specifies the least of these. People who can do nothing for you there are Christians in Ukraine right now that are that are doing this. There are Christians who could have gotten out but chose to say, stay because they wanted to help people and provide for them and care for them. There are some Christians who got out, who are already out, and chose to go back in. And some of those people have already lost their lives. There are stories of that coming out because they're doing exactly what Jesus is talking about here. And when they do that as followers of Jesus, Jesus says it's as if you are doing it for me personally. When you risk helping others who can't help you back, it's like you're helping Jesus. Now for most of us, this does not mean risking our lives. Uh, For where we are located right here, right now, we're not facing that kind of a situation. You know what we're risking? We are risking our comfort and our image. That's the risk that we face, our comfort and our image. Are we willing to risk that to help other people in the name of Jesus? Someone once said, my comfort zone is a wonderful place, but nothing ever grows there. We are very comfortable people. Honestly, we often don't know what it's like to take a lot of risks, especially when it comes to helping others. Some of us do. And I want to be very clear here because this this message is probably not for everyone. Uh, There are some people in this body of Christ who serve and serve and serve in lots of different ways, and they're constantly helping other people. And and for them, they could hear a message like this and think, "Boy, it's never enough. I just got to do more. And we can get burned out on that. And that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying everybody, you're not doing enough. We got to do more. That's not what this is about. In fact, in some cases, service can even turn into an idol for us where it overpowers our need to spend time working on our own spiritual walk with God and our family and friends around us. And there's a balance there that we have to have. But this is really for those of us that are just really comfortable and haven't taken a risk in a while, haven't stretched ourselves in a while, haven't been willing to get out of our comfort zone been willing to get a little awkward, maybe risk our image a little bit, or at least what we think we're portraying to other people. And maybe that means serving God at a soup kitchen, serving God by serving others. Maybe that means helping out at a food pantry or, or at a, a nursing home. Uh, several of our, of our people involved in Rooted have, have already done this. They've already, we've had this opportunity to, to get out there and serve in lots of different ways. And, and I certainly hope that doesn't become a, a once a year event for you. That this is just a part of who we are. This characterizes the sheep. It's what you do. You risk your comfort. You risk your image. You risk your time. In some cases, you, you take a little risk with your health and your safety even. Legitimately. Because, we're, because this is, we're, we're God's sheep. We're here to serve other people. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And Jesus says when we do that, it's like you're, you're serving me. It's like you're doing that for me. Maybe it means spending time with people that you don't necessarily want to spend time with. Maybe it means intentionally reaching out to someone that you don't need to be your friend, but they clearly need a friend. And so you're going to go risk your time and maybe risk your your image and certainly your comfort, risk getting out of your comfort zone to go be a friend to someone that you wouldn't normally do otherwise and serve them. And maybe that risk doesn't pay off right away. Maybe it never seems to pay off. Maybe the payoff is actually in you as you grow. Maybe there is something great that comes out of that. We don't know. Sometimes what happens is we take a risk and we serve in some way and it doesn't work out well for us. We find out that maybe that wasn't for us and so then we say, well, I tried and it didn't work and so I'm done. And that's not how, that's not how it should be at all. God has designed you to serve. God has, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are, you are part of God's flock. You're one of his sheep and what characterizes the sheep is that they risk all those things to help other people. So you've got to find that thing that God has wired you to do. We've talked a little bit about spiritual gifts in Rooted. And how how God has gifted you in some way that's unique from other people so that you can serve in a particular way. If God wanted us all to be doing exactly the same things, then he wouldn't have given us different gifts. God has wired you differently. He's given you a unique personality. He's given you unique spiritual gifts so that you can serve in some way. And if you try something and it doesn't work out the first time, you can't give up. You gotta keep trying. You gotta find something else. You keep going until you find that thing that it's like this is so fulfilling and rewarding for me. Some of you uh, might need to to try serving with with kids for a while. I think everyone should serve with kids at least once, just for the experience. Everybody should. And and half of you will realize this is not for me and you should not be there. And the other half of you will be like, this is way better than I expected. But just because you try it and it doesn't work for you, doesn't mean you then say, well, I guess I'm not cut out for service. Like Congratulations, you found one thing that you're not supposed to do. Now, where's the next thing we're going to try? And you keep doing that until you find out, ah, this is how God designed me to serve other people. It's what the sheep are supposed to be doing. So maybe this message is is for you. Maybe this message is not for you. I wanna be sensitive to the fact that there there may be some people that there's a different risk we need to talk about than even getting out there and risking your comfort and your image and your time and and all of that to help other people. There's another risk that I wanna make sure we talk about today. And that's the risk to place your trust only in Jesus to make you right with God. Because that's a risk. Let's not treat it flippantly. That is a risky decision to make. And it's kind of funny to me that sometimes we approach trusting in Jesus like this sort of two-minute elevator pitch gospel message that we throw out there. And in these two minutes, I need you to decide whether or not you're going to bet your entire life on this way of thinking on this man, Jesus, that you've never personally met who lived 2,000 years ago, and I'm telling you, he died and he rose again to pay for your sins. Let's not sugarcoat it. It's a big decision. It's a big risk. Here's how Jesus talked about it. He said in Luke chapter 9, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. You must give up your own way. That means your way of thinking, your way of doing things you got to be willing to just let that go, including your way of being right with God. He says, you've got to take up your cross daily. What does that mean? That means every single day, if it came down to it, and I had to choose my life or my faith in Jesus, my faith in Jesus has to win. And praise God, we haven't had to experience that much here, but our brothers and sisters around the world, some of them do. You either recant your belief in Jesus or you die. Take up your cross daily. I am willing to die for this belief in Jesus. That's a risk. That's a risky decision. Let's not make light of that. In Matthew 10, Jesus said, If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. This is a risky decision to trust in Jesus. That's why for for centuries, people have tried to add things to it to not make that the only thing. So we take Jesus, and I believe in Jesus, but I've also got some elements of other faith that I'll bring in there, and I'll kind of combine these faith elements together. And hopefully, one of those things, or that some combination of them will be enough to make me right with God. And so I kind of add things together. That's called syncretism. I'm adding different elements of different faith bits together, and and hopefully, I got something right in there, and I'll be okay. Or, Or we believe in Jesus, but we think that we've got to do some extra stuff to sweeten the deal. So I I believe in Jesus, yes, but also I'm gonna do a lot of good works. I'm gonna hope that that counts for something and I'm gonna get baptized and that baptism maybe helps me a little bit and I'm gonna get married in a church and I'm gonna give to the church and and my prayers will mean something and hopefully that combination will be enough and that's gonna make me right with God. It's a risk to follow Jesus and say, none of that other stuff counts for anything. That's exactly what the Bible teaches us. Even in the Old Testament, Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 64, he said, we are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, this is so important. When we display our righteous deeds, the good things we've done, he says, they are nothing but filthy rags. All that good stuff that we could try to do to add to our faith in Jesus to try to make us right with God, it's filthy rags to God. It's meaningless. It's nothing. There's another passage that Kevin mentioned last week I want to go back to because it really really ties this whole thing together. It's Ephesians chapter 2. Paul is writing and he says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. It has nothing to do with what we've done. And then he says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. What does that mean? If your salvation is something that you can't take credit for, that you can't boast about it, that means there's nothing you did to contribute to it. And that's a a message of great relief and joy. It doesn't depend on you. There's nothing you can do to earn salvation with God. It is something that Jesus provides for you and all we have to do is believe in him and trust in what he did for us and not what we can do for ourselves. And that's a risk. It's a risk to be willing to say, I've got nothing to bring to the table. All I can do is throw myself on Jesus. But that risk pays off. Those are the people who become God's sheep, who become a part of his kingdom. And then Paul says, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we believed in him. And we can't take credit for any of this, but God saved us. And now we're a part of his family and his kingdom. We can't boast about it, but we have salvation. So now we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. The stuff we're talking about, that risky stuff that we need to do, risking our comfort and our image and our time, and in some cases, maybe even our safety, to go help other people in Jesus' name, that's stuff that God planned for you long ago to do. James says, if we know to do good and we don't do it, then it's a sin. There are times where we see situations where we could be a blessing and we could serve in Jesus name and in our awkwardness and our discomfort and our not willing to risk it we stay back. And James tells us that's that's sin, that's wrong. God designed you to serve in this way. So serve. So be the sheep that God wants you to be, who clothe and feed and give drink and welcome into your home, and show hospitality, and serve in all sorts of ways, and care for the sick, and care for people in prison, and the least of these, the people that can't help you back. You've gotta be willing to take some risks if you want to make the most of your life. You've gotta be willing to take some risks. I'm gonna ask you to pray with me right now. And just take a moment, take a moment to think About the opportunities that God may have for you. Where have you struggled to be willing to take a risk for God? Father, we know that there are things that you have planned for us to do and and opportunities you've given us that you will give us this week to share your love with other people, to minister on your behalf. And it's amazing to think about the fact that when we do that, for people that can do nothing for us in return, it's like we're serving you. So God, here's my prayer for everybody that's here in this room, everybody that's watching online right now. Here's what I pray. I pray that you would bring that to our mind as we're doing it. As we're uncomfortable, as we're in an awkward situation, as we're maybe not really enjoying it in the moment, maybe doesn't feel good in the moment, maybe took some risks to get there, maybe takes our time away from something else that we wanted to do that was maybe for us, that was self-centered. In that moment, Lord, would you bring to our mind the concept that we're doing this for Jesus? We're not just serving this other person. We're serving Jesus in this moment. I pray that we would be known as a church that lives this way, God that we would be known, that it would be visible to everybody, that these are, they may not have the language for it, but we know what it means. These are sheep, not goats. These are people who are constantly serving others, who are generous, who are kind, who treat people differently, who don't get into arguments and fights, but who love on people. And through that, Lord, that your, your grace would be known and, and spread. Peter says that we are stewards of God's grace in this world. That's part of why you've gifted us spiritual gifts. So help us, God, to utilize those recognizing that we are your ambassadors, as Larry said earlier. We are your stewards of your grace, and we get to serve as if we were serving Jesus Christ. May we remember that this week, Lord. We will worship you now as we prepare to go out into the world and do what you've told us to do. In your name we pray.